good morning, Sugar Creek. How's everybody feeling this morning? All right. You guys seem like you're still dead. You had an extra hour. Let me ask this question again. Everybody doing all right this morning, Sugar Creek? Amen. Amen. Well, let me tell you, my name is not Xavier Maryland. I say that because I see a couple of you guys out in the commons area and you say, oh, Pastor Xavier, how I enjoyed your sermon today. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm Johnny. Uh, <laughs> a couple of things. He's a little bit taller than I. Uh, if nothing else gives you the clue, he has hair. I, I don't. I don't. So I am Johnny Moore. I have the privilege of being the Sugarland Connects Groups pastor. And I'm grateful that you are here today. I am grateful for our wonderful leader, Dr. Mark Hartman. Thank you so very much for the opportunity to speak on today. Can we just give a hand of worship today? for a wonderful, wonderful leader that he is, and I'm grateful uh, for that. I'm grateful for every um, individual that's here in the auditorium, as well as the individuals that are watching us online. I have to give a shout out from Memphis, Tennessee. My mom and dad are watching today, so thank you so much for being at least two amens that I have in the chat. I need y'all to keep saying it. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> hey, I'm really, really excited about the opportunity. Um, I thought that I had a decent relationship with our pastor until I got my assignment today. Um, I thought we were kind of been here two years now and I thought we were kind of progressing and then he gave me the scriptural reference and now I don't know how much he likes me or not um, but today we're going to close out this series on healing broken relationships healing broken relationships uh, as I begin to prepare for this sermon on today I was reminded of a time when I was in high school I believe I was uh, between ninth and tenth grade uh, my mom and dad uh, afforded me the opportunity to uh, buy my sister and I an above ground pool an above ground pool uh, not the underground not the expensive one the, the above ground the one you had to put the water hose in nobody attested that okay um, and uh, my job with this new pool was to make sure that I kept the leaves cleaned out of the pool. Anybody know about that? Cleaning the leaves, that's right. Got a couple of amens there. Um, the responsibility uh, was a rather daunting task. Uh, remember, I told you, it was an above ground pool. Look at me. <laughs> uh, every other day, my father would send me out there with a utensil uh, to get the leaves off of the top of the pool. It, it was such a daunting task. I would have to stand on top of some buckets uh, to get the pool and the debris that was at the bottom of the pool. And um, I was uh, excited about the opportunity of having a pool. Automatically, I had more friends than I ever had in my life. Everyone wanted to come over my house for some reason. I was the most popular guy in my community uh, but there came a level of responsibility that came with the pool and that was cleaning the leaves over a period of time um, the excitement of the pool wore off because of the responsibility to keep up the new thing that I'd gotten and because of that I went into my dad as humble as I knew how and said God dad not God dad I need you to fix this um, I'm out there working as hard as I can, and it seems like as soon as I clean up leaves for the day, by the time I get back in, leaves reappear. Can, can you offer any solution 
for me? Can you help your son out? I need help. You see how tall I am? Um, you're short like me. How can I get this thing out? And he went outside with me, and we began to discover that the problem was not the leaves. The problem was the tree that had branches that was over the pool. And no matter how hard I worked, friend, I couldn't keep the leaves out of the pool because there was a bigger issue. And in my life, I was trying to fix the problem of leaves while negating the larger issue of the tree. And dare I submit to you for your careful consideration today that in our relationships, I believe that we're resolving and we are prioritizing fixing the leaf problem rather than ridding ourselves of tree issues. Throughout this series, we've been talking about how we can love one another better, how we can give sacrificially. We got to the fifth chapter of Ephesians and Paul's starts speaking in a way that I was a bit taken aback. He, he was telling us how we needed to be imitators of God, how we needed to love like Christ. And then in the third verse of Ephesians, the fifth chapter, uh, he says something pretty bold, and I'd like you to listen to this. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the third verse. He says, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no, Im no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Pastor Parker, when I begin to read this scripture, it seems like it is diametrically opposed to the thematic thrust of the beginning of the chapter. He starts to tell us that we need to work on how we're loving to one another, how we need to be imitators of God, and immediately he starts talking about our sexual interactions with others. He starts talking about our impure thoughts. He starts talking about our greed, and I'm asking the question to the text, what in the world has one with the other? And in that moment, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, Johnny, you can't see the trees for the leaves. Your focus is more on what he is saying about the trees rather than the focus being on the trees. There's something greater for us to focus on. There's something that we need to flip our interest in more than the leaves of our lives. We need to rid ourselves of trees. Trees. Trees of selfishness. 
If there is going to be a successful relationship in your life, whether that is marital, whether that is in your business, whether that is in your home, in your church, in your community, selfishness cannot reside where healthy relationships are prioritized. If, thank you for one amen over here, if we are going to have healthy relationships, we must prioritize no longer to live a selfish life. If we're going to rid ourselves, not just of the leaves, but the trees, we must find what is at the bottom of the tree. 90% of every tree is able to be seen, but the 10% is in the root. The question today that we should ask is, what is rooted in the tree of selfishness? I believe, for your notes today, all sin is rooted in selfishness. All places of sin is rooted in selfishness. The thing that allows me to think that I can be over the standard that God has called me to be allows me to see the buds of arrogance in my selfish way of thinking. In our society, we're now more entitled to live a life that is pleasing to our flesh than is pleasing to God. We now have rights to do what the Bible says is wrong. It has become so common for us to do what is wrong. Now everyone celebrates sex outside of marriage. Everyone celebrates children out of wedlock. But the Bible is still right. Your flesh is not right and it should not be the motivating factor in your life. We should seek to please our Savior and in doing so we suppress selfish desires we suppress this arrogant air that we walk around thinking that we're over the standard that God has for our lives because when we walk according to selfishness we put our desires over desire of God for our lives when we walk according to selfishness and we weigh the two what we want begins to weigh more than what God wants can I tell you, as a disclaimer, I am not preaching this sermon from a place of perfection, but rather a place of conviction, because there are some places in my life where I've made some dumb decisions, I've made some careless mistakes, and it was because of me seeking to indulge my selfish desires rather than being uncomfortable and going according to God's plan and his will for me, because God never causes us to live in a place of conflict. He never calls us to live in a place of our desires. He says if we delight in him, then he will give us the desires of our hearts. But can I tell you, the emphasis is not on your desires. It is on you delighting. As you delight in his relationship, as you delight in your relationship with him, rather, he will change your desires and give you his desires. He will change your desire to go after places of greed, and he will make you generous. He will change your desires to have rude conversations. He will change your desires to gossip about others, and he will give you a pure tongue. He wants us to have a selfish or selfless heart rather than a selfish heart. He says that, that all sin is rooted 
in selfishness. But if sin is rooted in selfishness, our salvation is rooted in selflessness. This is a great part of the sermon for us to be reminded that the only way you have access to a life that is free from sin is because of the selflessness of our Savior. Because Jesus was selfless, he hung on a cross. Because Jesus was selfless, he endured the 39 lashes. Because Jesus was selfless, he endured the thrusting of the spear in his side. He endured the crown of thorns that was embedded in his head. He endured them tearing out his beard from his face because he resolved, I will not be selfish and worry about myself. I'm more concerned about a generation that is going to benefit from my level of sacrifice. And when you and I can get to a place to where we prioritize others and the desires of God for our life again over and against our desires then can we live a life that is selfless because our selflessness we see buds of humility where I would be prideful now I'm humble because when I think of the sacrifice of the cross, it makes my heart cringe when I break the heart of God and I do something that is not according to his will for my life because the Bible tells us that every time we sin, we crucify him afresh. We make the thorn in his side. We, we get, we'll cause the thorn in his side or the thorn in his flesh all over again. We allow him to experience that experience all over again. And because we don't want to be selfish, because we want to be thankful. We want to be appreciative of who God is, of what he is in our lives. We'll live a life that's pleasing to him. I believe in our thankfulness. It allows us to stay in our lane of sexual morality. In our level of thankfulness, it allows us to have pure thoughts rather than having impure thoughts. If we stay in our lanes, unlike Houston traffic, it'll allow us to be more generous than we are greedy. You understand, when you veer out of your lane, you cause wrecks. Can I tell you, in my life, I have experienced more wrecks than I'm willing to tell you on this stage because of my selfishness my self-indulgence in my own pleasures, doing what was good to me in the moment, but not good for me. Because all sin is good to you. No amens there. Yeah, yeah, you can't admit it on Sunday morning while you have your church face, but every place of sin, every place of temptation is good to me. Otherwise, it wouldn't be tempting to do. I'm not tempted to do anything that doesn't pluck the strings of my heart of selfishness. And the enemy knows what he can use to lure me in and bait me in because he knows within my heart dwells no good thing. My heart is deceitful. 
Let, let me prove it to you. Jeremiah tells us something about our hearts, and I need to tell you this for your understanding. Jeremiah 17 and 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked, for who can know it? You understand that your heart is not deceiving God. Your heart, for the most part, is not deceiving others. We're deceivers of our own selves. Because we begin to rationalize the wrong that we do in our lives. Even through our relationships, we rationalize treating people in a petty way because they've said something wrong to us. We resolve in our lives to have, take on vengeance in our lives, in our relationships, because we believe that we're better than the rule and the standard that God has given us to love others even as we love ourselves. I believe that we're willing, we're unwilling rather, to give the grace that we pray so hard to receive. For all of your transgressions, for all of your mistakes, for all of your transgressions and all of the situations that you have made bad decisions and you have prayed earnestly to God, if you will get me out of this situation, I'll never do it again. Only two weeks later, hello, to find yourself in that situation again because you removed leaves and not trees. You dealt with the symptoms of the situation, and until a man's heart is changed, his reactions won't change. For out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. If you ever want to control your tongue, you got to change your heart. If you ever want to change your mind, you got to first change your heart, and God is the one. I'm too excited. God is the one. <laughs> God is the one that alters the direction and the governance of our heart and we can no longer succumb to society and what it tells us we should do and what it where it tells us we should go and who we should go with and we should govern our, our lives by how God says our heart should go. For where your heart is, your treasure will be also. Whatever you value in life, you'll see it in the heart. So the question is not if there is wickedness in our heart. The question is, God, show me the wickedness in my heart that I know resides there. And then he says, lead me eternally. This is so good. Psalm 139 Verse 23 and 24, this is David's prayer in concern with his heart. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Most of us only resolve to ask God for guidance in earthly situations. But I don't want God just to help me in the business deal. I don't want God just to help me in my career. I don't want God just to help me in my entrepreneurial endeavors. I don't want God just to help me in my marriage. I don't want God just to help me in me being a father, but I want God to help me eternally. 
I want my ways to lead me in a way that would cause me to see his face and see his face in peace because I am not resolving just to lead a successful life here on earth, but I want to live on earth so I can live again eternally. I want to have peace with my neighbors, but I want to have peace with my soon coming savior. And when we resolve in priority to do unto others as we would have them to do unto us, we put God's desire over our desires. So the question is, Johnny, what's the solution for selfishness? You've already pointed out that's a part of my heart. What is the solution for selfishness? I'm glad you asked. The solution for selfishness is your focus. Two things I want us to focus on. I'm going to take my seat. I'll let you go to brunch. Where y'all going to brunch? Don't worry about it. That was a selfish desire. The solution for selfishness, number one, is to focus on the truth. What is the truth? That the innate condition of my heart is wicked. I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. This is why I need to be born again, not of my mother's womb, but spiritually so. Because I want to have a different focus than what I was pre-exposed to in my birth. My son is three years old. He has four focuses. Can I tell you what they are? They are Paw Patrol. They are chicken nuggets. They are fries. And they are monster trucks. If at any point I take anything out of the bubble of his life, if I take his monster truck away from him, if I turn off Netflix or YouTube from him watching Paw Patrol, if I don't give him the fries and the chicken nuggets in a hurry, he says, Daddy, that's mine. G give, me, give, give me my chicken nuggets. Give me my fries. I, I, want, my, I want my monster truck because it's mine. And even though he's three years old, he is pre-exposed pre to this selfishness of his heart. And I know we're adults, but much like my three-year-old son, every once in a while, we slip into a place of selfishness and we care more about mine, 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 us four, and no more. God only do it for my family. God only do it in my business. God only do it in my home. God only do it with my finances. But when was the last time that you gave God a selfless prayer rather than a selfish prayer? God, even if you don't do it for me, will you do it for my neighbor? Even if you don't heal my body, will you touch someone's body so they can experience the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit that we would have a testimony in this generation that you still reign, you still rule, you're over every generation, you're over every policy and procedure, you're over over every place of war. You give us peace where our government cannot see where peace lies. You give us the answer to every question of our reality. And the question is, where is your focus? Where's your focus? If we're going to fix the place of selfishness, 
Number one, we need to focus on the truth. The truth is our heart is wicked and we need God. Lastly, we must focus on our eternal impact. Hear this, we must focus on our eternal impact. Not just our earthly impact, but also we must focus on our eternal impact. When I focus on the here and now, I tend to be more selfish. When I only focus on how this benefits me, I tend to be more selfish. But when you and I focus on the eternal repercussions of every one of the decisions that we make in life, we tend to be more selfless than selfish. The question this morning is, what motivates your focus? What is the driving decision? or what drives your decisions in life? It is, how, is it how you thrive here on earth? Or is the eternal impact that you have? Have you ever thought how this decision will affect your witness with others as they are seeking to live a life for God? Will you cause others to stumble because of the selfish decisions that you're making in life? Will you re resolve to use grace as a crutch to continue in your places of sin within your relationships? God forbid. God is calling for us to have successful relationships, but we cannot do it present of selfishness. God is calling for someone to be the bigger person today. God is calling for someone to step outside of yourself knowing that you did nothing wrong and be the bigger person and open up your heart to hear what that person has to say. Do not listen to respond, but listen to interpret their heart. Within your relationships, I have done it so many times where I want to be quick. I want to win in this conversation. And because I want to win in this conversation, I'm only listening so I can respond in a way to where I get the win. How many husbands have done that? Don't raise your hand. Wife, I saw you nudging him. Don't nudge him. No, we, we need to resolve to focus on our internal impact. The question today is, where is your focus? As I was preparing for the sermon, I was wondering how I could paint a picture of focus. I don't have a sleeping bag this week, but I thought I'd br bring some binoculars. I went and purchased binoculars yesterday. They are much more expensive than I thought. Consequently, these are going back in the morning. I hope nobody in here works at Academy Sports, but these are going back. I'm on a budget, okay? Um, when, I'm, when I'm looking through these binoculars, it has a priority or a job to show me what is small and to make it big. When I use these binoculars, I can see that, that stroller all the way in the back of the room. It's got some red in it. I, I can adjust the focus to see. Sir, are you on the phone while I'm preaching? 
okay. <laughs> it allows me to see what is small and it makes it large. What I think in our lives that happens, we use the focus in our lives to make our desires larger than what they should be. But I believe God is calling for us in the last couple of minutes that I have in this sermonic presentation to flip our focus. Because when I flip the focus of these binoculars and I use the larger end, it now causes the focus to be smaller. So what I need to do is use the large end to focus on my desires. But I need to use this end to focus in on God's desires. When I'm resolving to make a decision in my life, I don't want my desires to be bigger than God's desires. I don't want my plan to be larger than God's plan. I don't want my will to be larger than God's will. So the only way I can do that is I must flip my focus. And from this day forward, Sugar Creek family, we must flip our focus from our selfish desires to God's selfless desires. If I want to have successful relationships in my life, I must be very intentional to become more selfless than I am selfish. I no longer care about being right all of the time. Many of us are sacrificing God relationships because we want to be right. We want to be comfortable. But God never calls us according to our comfort. He always has a way of using our discomfort to move us into a place that he's predestined for us to be. And I am challenging us today to focus not only on the eternal impact, but focus on the truth, the truth of where you are seeing things in your life. Quit working on the leaves and start removing the trees. I don't care for my younger generation how many people you block on social media. I don't care how many people you unfollow. If you unfollow them, there's always a new person that you can follow. And the common denominator is you. It's not them, it's you. It's not extrinsic, it's intrinsic. It's your heart. It's the way you see people. It's the way you see relationships. Let us leave this place today seeing people the way God sees them as important. They may disagree with you theologically, but God still loves them. They may disagree with you politically, but God still loves them. They may have a different sexual preference, and while we do not condone the sin, we absolutely hate the sin, we still love the person. Because Paul says, such were some of you. You, 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 that used to live a life of sin, and now God's grace and his mercy has covered you with his blood, and you are no longer in sin, so let's now show the love to them that was showed once towards us. Let's focus on loving again. Let's focus on showing people our God nature, showing them the heart of Christ. Can we not forgive again as Christ has forgiven us? Can we not be merciful as Christ has been merciful to us? 
Can we not focus on every flaw that we see in others' lives and focus on the heart of that individual that needs Jesus Christ just as we needed him? As I end this service, this sermon today and the service, I want us to prioritize our focus today. Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that it has not fallen on deaf ears, but I pray that this analogy that has been used with the binoculars would be placed in our hearts to shift our focus, to shift what we're looking at, to shift the perspective of what we see, that we were resolved to be more selfless than we are selfish. Help us not to focus on our desires over and against your desires for our lives. And we will be so grateful for the relationships that you will heal, for the marriages that you will reconcile, for the friendships that you will put back together, the business par partnerships that you will allow to thrive because we have now shifted our focus to be more selfless than we are selfish. It is in the name above every name we pray. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.